show. Obviously, you're not a golfer. What kind of beer do you like? Heineken! Fuck that shit! Pop, spoon, ribbon! You take drugs, Danny? Every day. Good. So what's the problem? I don't know. Money, 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 money! I drink your milkshake! I drink it up! Son of a bitch. Stole mine. You're a cantaloupe. <laughs> I think it's that time. Yeah. Welcome back to WTM. Watch this movie. I'm your host, Eric Mulder. So he says, wrecked him, damn near killed him. Joining me once again, <laughs> the Wolfman's back. Yeah. What's going on, Brett? We're on the same page today. <laughs> Wolfman's got nards. We had our wires crossed yesterday. I don't know, man. We had some miscommunication. Did you talk about that with Jones on the on the episode you guys did? I don't think so. Okay. We, yeah, don't, we don't have to get into it, but... Today's Thursday, the we, 14th, right? Yeah. Of December. And yesterday, we were going to record an episode, a mini-up, and then this Black Christmas episode. Well, Brett thought we were recording today, so Jones is here yesterday. Well, Mulder told me Thursday, and then yesterday he calls me up and says, where are you at? You say I told you Thursday. I'm pretty sure I told you Wednesday. That's what I don't know. Jones I've been planning pitched. on Thursday for a week, so <laughs> something fucked up. And then uh, you didn't really. You kind of reminded me at work, and then, but not really. Mm-hmm. You just kind of assumed that I had remembered, mm-hmm. or that I knew that it was going to be Wednesday, and yeah, I didn't. And I actually said something that really should have been a red flag to you, mm-hmm. but since nobody takes anything I say seriously, <laughs> they think I'm joking all the time. He, he just thought it was a bad joke. <laughs> Pretty much. So, so yeah, uh, Jones wasn't able to rewatch Black Christmas before recording anyways, so. No harm, no fall. Yeah, we won't have him today, but, well, he did watch, like, some uh, special features stuff, so he was going to comment on that, but, oh, well, he couldn't make it today, only yesterday, so. Maybe you can uh, call him up or something. He can phone it in. Yep. You get us to Jason, PJ, <laughs> producer Jason. Jaybird. <laughs> he was in L.A. last week uh, visiting some friends, so he just got back in town this week. Um, he was taking this one off, but he will be back. We will all be together sometime next week for our big, big Christmas episode. Which we're going over gremlins, so that should be fun. But yeah, today, topic at hand. It's a movie leftover. Dun, dun, dun. Black Christmas. Get you in the Yuletide spirit. Yeah. <laughs> Especially that Santa Claus in there. <laughs> He's jolly. I don't want to stereotype anybody, but I think he might have been Jewish. <laughs> well, you, you say you don't want to stereotype people, and then you stereotype people. Well, I'm just saying, based on looks... I know that was a pretty popular look in the 70s, but he may have been Jewish. <laughs> are are you mad that he was dressed up as Santa Claus if he was No, Jewish? I I was saying that might explain why he wasn't so uh into it. Oh, okay. Maybe he was a little 
less than thrilled to be playing a mascot for a holiday that he doesn't participate in. <laughs> yeah. Just because he's a little chubbier than everybody else. So just a reminder, or people new to the show, a leftover is more of a lighthearted take on a movie. It's a movie that we all like. I think you should too. Uh, we recommend yeah. you watch the movies before you listen to these episodes because there is spoilers throughout. Yeah, we're going to tell you all the spoilers. Yeah, we'll go through the whole movie, play some clips, and the leftover is different from a breakdown in that in a breakdown we kind of actually break it down more. We talk about themes, maybe symbolisms, things like that. Whereas a movie like Black Christmas, it's still a very good movie, but you don't have to yeah. get into the P's and Q's of everything. We don't have to get into <laughs> the weeds too much. <laughs> Where did that phrase uh, P's and Q's come from, you know? I what heard, is a P and a Q? I heard it was like a, a British bar thing, like P's and Q's are pints and quarts. So and mind that, your P's and Q's, just watch your beer? Or? Yeah, it was basically, I don't know, like something's coming through, watch your beer, don't spill it. Well, Brits, email us, Twitter us, let us know. That's what I heard. We know you're listening, so explain that to us. I heard it on one of them, uh, or I read it maybe on the internet. On what do these famous uh, phrases actually mean? Mm-hmm. One of them things. Because <laughs> those are everywhere. <laughs> yep. So, we're talking the original Black Christmas, 1974. There was a remake in 2006 thereabouts yeah 2006 with uh michelle trechtenberg and mary elizabeth winstead and Lacey. how do you say her name shabert i think it's che bear isn't it che bear french that's the french way to say it because if anybody knows french it's me <laughs> <laughs> so from 1974 directed by bob clark starring olivia hussey uh care dulia that's probably wrong but yeah, I don't Whatever. know how to say that name. He's either. from 2001. Played uh, Bowman in 2001. The 2001, A Space Odyssey. Not, uh, everyone not, knows 2001. Not the year 2001, <laughs> the movie 2001. Uh, Margot Kidder is in here. Best known as Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ol- Olivia Hussey was uh, maybe best known as uh, Juliet. Did you know okay. that? Which she was in the... Uh, the six, 1968 version of Romeo and Juliet. Okay. John Saxon also in here. Plays Lieutenant Ken Fuller. John Saxon's always pretty good in stuff. Remember from does Enter the ever, Dragon. and Does he ever not play a cop, though? Well, End of the Dragon, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> no cops on that island. Because he was uh, using like, a bunch of the uh, Nightmare on Elm Streets. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's about it. Uh, Storyline. During their Christmas break, a group of sorority girls are stalked by a stranger. Did you say who wrote that movie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Roy Moore. Roy, Roy, Roy Moore. <laughs> yes, not the actual... Well, he the just el- got... He's failed in the election the other day. The alleged uh, pedophile, Roy Moore, was not related to this one as far as we know. Yeah. In fact, I saw his name displayed in another publication is a roy moore like a dot roy moore Mm. i was like what is that you got two first names ricky bobby well he might go by his middle name yeah i guess that's usually what happens he's only written seven movies and one of them is the uh the 
remake, so I assume he didn't actually write that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. this story more is from Canada. I'm sure the director is here. Let's look at Bob Clark, director of Porky's and A Christmas Story. So he got some, got some Christmas-centric stuff from this guy. I take that back. The only actual movie that Roy Moore wrote other than uh, Black Christmas was The Last Chase in 1981, Hmm. which I have not heard of. Nope. Bob Clark actually was born in Nolens, Louisiana, but this movie was filmed and takes place in Canada. It's filmed in Toronto during the winter of, I think, 73, 74. Well, I mean, it came out in 74, so probably had to have been 73. 73. Or the 73-74 winter season. Right. One of the trivia items says that the movie takes place in America, but they don't really say where it is. Mm-hmm. It looks really Canadian, though. There's a lot of Canadians in there. This movie is also very famous as being kind of one of the first slashers. This is five years before Halloween. People always point to, like, Psycho as one of the early slashers, which it is and it isn't. You know, it, I mean, it probably was maybe the first... Or around the first of its kind, yeah. But seventies came away with a kind of a new breed of slashers, so to say. Right. Texas Chainsaw came out this year as well. Uh, so slashers are kind of. I mean, that one, yeah, I'd call it a slasher. But I think, like, quote unquote, experts of slasher films would say that it technically isn't, because slasher films dictate that the murderer has to stalk his victims. Okay. Whereas his Texas Chainsaw, all the victims come to them, <laughs> stumble in the house, and <laughs> they don't really have to do anything. <laughs> I mean, in Texas Chainsaw, all the murders are uh, stand-your-ground murders. <laughs> <laughs> Got that right. <laughs> so Black Christmas, yeah, famous for being for slasher, and also kind of the first calls are coming from inside the house movie. Because we find out uh, these yeah. sorority is getting all these obscene phone calls, threatening phone calls from somebody. And we find out that the, in the end that the killer is actually in the house and he's using a different phone. He's using the mother of the sorority's phone. Yeah. I did read one of the trivia items on IMDb was, let's see if I can find it. There's one other movie that came out like a year beforehand that had the uh, had a very similar... Uh, phone call coming from within the house, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it's you know one and two kind of thing, okay. and then it was based off a uh, an urban legend, the babysitter and the man upstairs. Yep. Uh, so, like as far as storytelling goes, it's not necessarily a new concept, but for movies, it was pretty new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, when a stranger calls was seventy nine, I believe, so that was after this. Yeah. When that kind of situation happens again. But uh, yeah, this movie starts out, you know, wintertime outside the sorority. Big house. Pretty cool house. Yeah. Um, Silent Night is playing in the opening, which is pretty cool. And then it pretty much just gets right into it. They start getting phone calls pretty much immediately. Yeah. So like, it starts off with the the this dude. It's a POV shot of a guy looking in the windows and shit. And then he... Uh, he climbs up the trellis into the attic and just, like, pops the window open and goes right in. Nobody mm-hmm. fucking notices. No. Although, one thing I noticed was he was standing right outside the, the front window, 
and people are going in the front door and they don't see them. So, well, there's a lot of front windows though. That well, it was right next to the door. He was, <laughs> yeah. he was watching them go in the door. Mm-hmm. Although, uh, like you had mentioned to me that there's a theory that maybe there were two killers, and in that opening scene, like the they go back and forth between one shot close to the house and one shot more on the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that might, you know, lend to that theory. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, once they get in the house there, you know, they get into it pretty quick. Yeah. It's kind of right around probably close to Christmas break. Um, apparently the sorority is full of, you know, fun loving young girls. Margot Kidder especially is kind of the, <laughs> the house drunk. Right. And outside sl- of the mother of the house. <laughs> the house drunk, house slut. Yeah. You know, she's pretty hard living. Mm-hmm. Which is a big departure from everything I've seen her <laughs> in because I've only seen her in the Superman movies. Which is weird because I've seen her in a, maybe one or two other things. And those other movies I've seen her in, she's more like the character in this movie than mm-hmm. she is Lois Lane. Yeah. So. I don't know how much she changed her act after being in the Superman movies or if she did, you know, exclusively that once she got into them. But, uh, yeah, I think her roles before that were a little bit different. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll just play the first clip here. This is uh, one of the first phone calls into the house, and all the girls are gathered around, and they're going to listen in front of the phone. I'll get it. Hello? 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 Hey, quiet! It's him again! The Mona! Claire, that's the Mormon Tabernacle Choir doing their annual obscene phone call. use a little of this. You piggy cunt. You want my 
Oh, why don't you go find a wall socket and stick your tongue in it? That'll give you a charge. I'll stick my tongue up your pretty pussy. You fucking creep! I'm going to kill you. Super tongue strikes again. Fastest tongue in the West. That was sick. I really don't think you should provoke somebody like that, Barb. Oh, listen, this guy's minor league in the city. I get two of those a day. Maybe. But you know, that town girl was raped a couple of weeks ago. Darling, you can't rape a townie. You really are too much, Barb. Oh, come on. This is a sorority house, not a convent. I had, to, I had to keep that last part in there. With Margot Kidder. Oh my nobody God. can rape a townie. You it's like, can't what? rape a townie. So uh, if you're from the city, apparently you're a loose woman. In the city, I get two of these a day. <laughs> oh, man. She must uh, live in uh, Harvey Weinstein's neighborhood or something. Yeah, the caller is quite the wordsmith. Oh, my God. Cunt is every other fucking word out of this guy's <laughs> mouth. Uh, so, yeah, pretty uh, disturbing... I kind of noticed the last time listening to that, that when he at the end, when he changes and I'm going to kill you, that yeah. sounds more like Peter. The more I listen to it, it sounds like Peter's voice a little yeah. bit. Now, Peter is the boyfriend of the main character, Jess, what we'll learn more about in a little bit. Right. But also notice uh, towards the middle of the phone call, I think it's right after he clears or it, like coughs and like clears his throat. And then you hear some laughing and. I distinctly hear two different laughs going on at the same time hmm. for like a, just a couple of seconds. Right. And then one of them says, is that, you know, multiple voices? And throughout like the rest of the phone calls, there isn't a lot of instances where you'd think it's multiple voices. Like he changes his voice, obviously, right. multiple times as he's talking to him, but nothing's like talking over the other one. So yeah. it does seem like it is one caller, at least the rest of the movie. But uh, yeah, I did find out that the there were two voices or two people that did the voices for the the caller. It was yeah. the director, and then who else? Did you, did you see uh, who else was doing it? Nick Mancuso. I don't know if I saw him right on he the was, cast list. He was the main uh, voice, okay. I believe. And they just used Bob Clark for certain things here and there. I'm sure. Yep. So yeah, the that sets up all these strings of phone calls that they've been getting and then uh pretty much right after that is when claire goes upstairs or does claire go upstairs right before that no because claire was the one that said well that town girl got raped okay yep that's right and then uh she, you know, she goes upstairs right after that because she's yeah, pissed off she goes Margo upstairs because she's well she's got a pack because she's gonna go home her dad's coming to pick her up the next day mm -hmm. and then uh i forget who it was but somebody scolds Barb for like uh, being too mean to her. Yeah, Barb is Margot Kidder, and uh, Barb goes, "You know, I know a professional virgin when I see her." <laughs> <laughs> like we get it, you're fucking loose. So, uh, yeah, Claire goes upstairs to pack, and uh, she hears what she thinks is the cat in her closet, and the uh, killer is in there behind like some dry cleaning or some. Clothes. Yeah, there's like a dry cleaning bag hanging mm -hmm. on a hanger, and then there's like a like a hole in the back of the closet and you can kind of see him like staring out at her mm -hmm. uh but it's obscured obviously by the plastic yeah and she goes in there to uh check it out 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he uh, wraps plastic over her head and suffocates her. Yep. And then pretty much immediately brings her up to the attic, which is his like, home base now. Yeah, because nobody goes in the attic ever <laughs> or looks in the attic windows. Yeah. Because he, uh, he brings her up there and he props her up in a chair with the bag on her head. Mm-hmm. And then he just sits up there and just rocks the chair. Mm-hmm. And she's right next to the window. <laughs> like, if you're on the street, I don't know. Maybe it's too high to look from the street, but it's also. I mean, there is aren't there aren't any lights on in the attic, so I kind of see that. But if it was like broad daylight, sun coming in, yeah, you could see it through the window. There's no curtains or anything. It's just wide open. Mm-hmm. No, and this does pretty much take place over a day. Like it, it begins on a night, and then it goes yeah. through the next day and night. Yeah. Two nights, one day. I'd say much. that. Yeah. yeah. So, let's see. Looking at my notes here. So one down. Oh, I forgot to bring up the when the uh, killer was outside the house looking in. He's doing the. <laughs> he's breathing real hard. Yeah. It's like the uh, breather. And student bodies. Which yeah. Is a great parody. Student bodies is from about eighty three or so, and it's a. I think it was it's eighty a, or eighty one. Okay. Early eighties, and it's yeah. a parody of horror movies and it's pretty solid it's it's yeah. very good i would recommend it yeah worth a watch fun movie uh so yeah you know, claire's up there they think she's packing up and mrs mac comes home the uh <laughs> the uh sorority mother mother what do they call it? yeah the house I, mother yeah that's what it is the house mother and she uh she's quite the alky herself. <laughs> she's got a drinking problem. She's got what is that brandy, right? She said brandy. brandy. It's like a flavored brandy, I think. Yeah, I, I didn't catch what it was, but she's got bottles all over the place. And I was like, why is she really hiding it that much? Okay, it's 74. All the other girls in the house are drinking. You know, yeah. Some way more than others, but it's not like they have to hide their drinking from her. Like I know she's in a position of responsibility, but Right. She shouldn't have to hide. She she has books cut with the pages cut out. Right. She can hide stuff in. She's got one in the uh, the tank of the toilet. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had one in her closet that she had finished. She's looking for it and pulled it out and it was empty. Yeah. There's another one, too. Uh, oh, what was the other one? God, I think she had one in, like, some of her luggage. <laughs> but she's, yeah, she's got yeah. these fifths of, like, brandy all over the house. All over. I wonder if she yep. was hiding it so that the girls wouldn't take it. Maybe. <laughs> Barb, specifically. Barb, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Or she's supposed to be, like you said, she's supposed to be responsible. So maybe she's uh, not allowed to drink in front of the girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, she's got a problem. Yep. So the uh, next morning, Claire's dad is obviously can't find her. They were supposed to meet. I believe she was, was she going home for her Christmas break? Is yeah, it was? he yeah. was coming to pick her up to bring her home. Yeah, she never showed up. And he gets nailed in the face with a snowball. <laughs> <laughs> they, it just comes out of nowhere. Like some kid just nails him in the face with a snowball <laughs> and then runs away. And then some dude walks up and says, oh, sorry. And then he walks away too. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and he talks to that guy who's from the... Uh, like his brother he's, fraternity. Yeah. It's a sister sorority of them who explains like where the sorority's at, helps him out a little bit. He heads down there, meets Mrs. Mother, and he is not too happy about the atmosphere that his daughter is living in with yeah. all the drinking and the 
sexual posters on the walls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's some pretty sweet ones. I like that calendar of the old lady flicking it off, <laughs> giving the finger. I think that was a poster of, uh, oh, what was it? It was uh, like different emotional stages or something like that. Mm-hmm. And like the last one was her just giving the finger. And there was that love poster, just two people having sex. Like in the shape of a peace symbol. Okay, yeah, it was a peace symbol. And uh, so so Mrs. Mack is like showing him uh, Claire's room and he he's looking around and Mrs. Mack sees the peace sign sex poster. Is her name Mrs. Mack or so? Like, why are you calling her Mrs. Mack from Always Sunny? Is, uh, well, that's what they called her. Did they say Mrs. Mack? Mrs. Mack. Okay. It was, I think it was Ma- McHenry was her full name. Okay. Because they, they said that at least once. And then, like, she had a picture of the McHenry sisters in her room. <laughs> I don't know if that was a... If she, it almost looked like a music album, like they were a, a singing group or something. But it might have just been a, a picture mm-hmm. of them. But, yeah, so she's, like, covering up the uh, the nudity on the poster, so... Claire's dad won't see it. Yep. Which Apparently, there's fun. a uh, there's a function that the sorority's at. It's for ki- for children. They have uh, one of the guys from the fraternity dressed up as Santa Claus. Yeah, and, and on something the, they put on for the kids. Even though Barb the under, is there, just getting shit faced. All the underprivileged underprivileged children come mm-hmm. and get exposed to the worst yeah. charity event ever for kids because <laughs> they're all drinking, and then the Santa Claus doesn't want to be there, mm-hmm. and Nobody's paying attention to the kids. And yeah, we have a clip of the Santa here, but I want to make sure we remember that uh, Barb was just feeding liquor to the kid, like giving him champagne and shit. Like I, don't, I think it was sh- hard liquor. It like wasn't even schnockered. champagne. Yeah, I don't even think it was bitch. champagne. It was something harder than that, but yeah. She's, like, She's doing it right in front of the Claire's dad. He is <laughs> not too happy about it. But here's a clip, of, just a short little clip of Santa with a little kid jumping on his lap. Ho, 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 shit. Santa, please. Look, she's supposed to be going away with me for the weekend, goddammit. Well, we decided that we would go skiing for a few days, hmm? Yeah, and I've been looking forward to this for three weeks, bitch. Isn't Santa naughty? Ho, 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 fuck. <laughs> Great role model for the kids. Oh, my God. And he's got like a little girl sitting on his lap, and she's just like <laughs> sitting there looking around, just cussing up a storm. Awkward. And then it kind of cuts to uh, Jess meets her boyfriend on campus. He's uh, a pianist, and he's yeah. practicing. He has a big recital or tryout, yeah, or I, something or other. I, I don't forget know if what that was for. If he was trying to get like become a concert pianist or something or yeah, get was, hired for a job. I don't remember. Something like that. And uh, she tells him that uh, she's pregnant. She's got some news. She does not want it. And he's not ready. I'm pregnant. <laughs> Jess, that's fantastic. I don't want it. You don't want it? No. I want to have an abortion. You can't make a decision like that. You haven't even asked me. I wasn't even going to tell you. Jess. I want us to have a baby. Peter, I can't. Oh, Christ, Jess.
Don't you ever consider anyone but yourself? I've thought this out very carefully, and I know what I'm going to do. Do you know how important this afternoon is to me? Yes, I do. Why don't you just get out of here? Jeff, I want to talk to you tonight. There's nothing to discuss, Peter. I think there is. I'm not going to change my mind. We'll see. Will you be there at 9 o'clock? Yes. Okay, I'll see you tonight. So, yeah, this movie is uh, considered uh, one of the earlier kind of feminist films because yeah. of how it tackles the abortion issue. Especially in 74, this is kind of ahead of the curve. It's probably pretty risque just to have a character right. have an abortion. And I mean, yeah, that happened before this, but well, I just looked up. Roe v. Wade was seventy three, so this was the next year. Yeah, this is so this so, is hot button <laughs> issue right now. <laughs> right on trend. Uh, yeah, and uh, Peter is not happy with how selfish <laughs> yeah. Jess is being. How selfish she could be. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Peter's a real piece of shit. You ever um, consider anybody but yourself? <laughs> <laughs> he's a, he's a douchebag throughout the whole movie. Um, pretty much all the male characters are either douches or idiots, except for the lieutenant John Saxon. Yeah, like you might have a little sympathy for Peter. You know, he wants a kid. He wants to be part of the decision. Mm-hmm. But the way he goes about everything, like. He's just hateable. Like you yeah. just fucking hate this guy. Because they have they have further conversations about the abortion, and he's just like, oh, <laughs> he's going to change her mind because it's it's going to be his way. There's a scene later where he talks about uh, killing the baby, and then like the the uh, killer says that on one of the phone calls when the police are listening in. Yeah, he says you act like getting rid of the baby is like getting a wart removed. Yeah. But then the the lieutenant is listening, and he says, what did he mean about killing the baby? Why would somebody say it like that? <laughs> like, like that's such a weird way for anybody to talk about abortion. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know. So that's one of the many red herring things they kind of throw at you, because throughout the yeah. movie they keep on putting more and more evidence that it's Peter that's the killer. And it's actually hard to believe that he's not. Yeah, because <laughs> he does not do a good job of building a case uh, to uh, establish his innocence. Yep. So next we get to let's get to the second kill. Mother Mac eats it in the attic because she hears what she thinks is the cat up in the attic. Yeah, she's been looking for this cat for like a day and a <laughs> half now. At one, it is a big fucking house. But at one point, she's looking for the cat, and uh, she just starts swearing at it. And then uh, Claire's dad just pops up, and she's like, oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so she heads up into the attic, where the killer is, and she's pokes her head through the opening, kind of looking around. It's all dark. She can't really see yeah. shit. Then she kind of hears something turns around, and he throws down a... Uh, what would you call it's it? Like a pulley a, system with a hook on it? Yeah, he's got like a hook on a rope. So, yeah, like he throws the hook down, goes, you know, plants right in her head. Yeah. And then he 
yanks her up through the hole with that pulley system. Yeah. It's a pretty sweet scene. Um, but yeah, she zips right up there. And then she was getting ready to go visit her sister, and she's got a taxi cab waiting outside for her. <laughs> and that guy, you know, he can only wait so long. He's been honking for like five minutes. <laughs> like, Come on, lady. <laughs> And he just fucking gives up and drives away. Yeah. And she's up there in the attic with a hook through her mm-hmm. face. Yep. So now there's two dead uh, people in the attic. And then there's a, there's a shot right after that, uh, like another POV shot that's looking at the house. And I'm like, okay, is this the boyfriend, Peter? Right. That's looking outside the house. Because he, he said he was going to show up that night at 9 o'clock, and he does show up soon after that. Right. And Peter, you know, he's all thrown off by this whole abortion thing. <laughs> he has a terrible piano recital. Yep. It did not sound good, and he was sweating profusely. Yep, and then he destroyed the <laughs> piano after after the audition. Yeah, he took one of the... Uh, like a stand. Like a stand, but it's like one of those things you put the velvet rope on, you hook it to the stand. Mm. Is there that, or it could have been like a microphone stand. Could be, but he uses that like a sledgehammer to fuck mm-hmm. up his piano, and that was pretty funny. <laughs> He's he's a little ill-tempered, this Peter guy. Yeah, not a big fan of abortion, that Peter. Oh, he's all worked up. <laughs> and um, then we I, should go to the next clip, which is... Well, I noted, too, after Mrs. Mac got killed, the killer just threw a tantrum up in the attic, and he just starts throwing stuff and knocking shit down, and mm-hmm. apparently the house was empty then because nobody heard it. Yeah, you can tell the killer has some mommy issues yeah um he keeps on saying agnes it's me billy yeah i think i got a clip of that agnes it's me billy that's what he says to jess towards the end of the movie but yeah he says that on the phone numerous times yep and uh he has the rocking claire in the rocking chair with like he put a doll Mm -hmm. on her lap and he looks like he's almost like playing with her a little bit yep so he's got some mommy issues child issues quite a few issues he always uh brings up the abortion too and he repeats stuff from peter and jess's conversations even though like that one that we just played where they were on campus and he was practicing nobody else around and then the very next call the uh, killer is repeating the stuff they just said yeah well i know later he says you know, like you're getting a wart removed, but as we saw, he says the wart removed remark in the house. Yeah, and the killer, we established the killer is in the house, so that mm-hmm. makes sense that he might have snuck down and heard that, but, mm-hmm. you know, unless he's got, unless he's Peter, or he's got that place wired up, mm-hmm. or he's following Jess well, around. What did he say from their initial abortion conversation? Um, oh, Shit. Uh, it was, I forget what line it was, but it was something that he like repeated verbatim from that first one about the, the abortion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I don't know. Um, I didn't write it down, but I did make a mental note. Yeah. So let's see. The next clip is, fuck, I forget what it is. Okay. Um, so this is, um, finally they treat Claire's her missing as like a serious thing. And so the cops form a search party. Everyone's going to the park. There's a lot of people there. So they search through this park. Cause she would have had to have walked through the yep. park to get to and from class. 
and there was uh, uh, there was another little girl m- missing too. So yeah, they find. I a think lo- it was actually for that little girl the search party, but they went to see if Claire was there also. They they could find Claire also. Mm-hmm. Um, well, either way, yeah, they do find a dead girl in the park. They kind of piggybacked on somebody else's search party. Yep, and. Uh, so Jess is back at the house currently, and she's with Peter, and they're bitching and moaning, and she gets another you know, phone call. Yeah. So she calls the cops, and uh, we introduce to Officer Nash. Yes. Now stay on the line. Okay, now calm down, lady. Let's have the story. Oh, yeah? That's the address. 6 Belmont Street. How many calls? Well, did you call the phone company? Oh, yeah? Well, miss, we're very busy here. There's been a child murdered in the park. I don't know when we can get a man on it. Probably just one of your boyfriends playing a little joke. Yeah, well, I'll report it and try to get a man on it just as soon as possible. I'm sorry, miss. There's been a child murdered in the park. (laughs) (laughs) This Nash guy... It's just all, one in a long line of second-in-command police officers who are totally useless. Yeah. Wait, what was his name? Is uh, Sergeant Nash. <laughs> Marvin Nash. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fucking deformed! A <laughs> uh, different officer, Nash. That's, that's a different officer. <laughs> um, but, this, but this one, he doesn't take any reports seriously. Yeah. Because they were in there like twice earlier looking for Claire. Mm-hmm. And he's like, whatever. Well, you know, she probably ran off with her boyfriend. Yeah, up in and a then cabin the, somewhere. And then the boyfriend shows up and, he, and she's like, well, she probably ran off with her other boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and Barb is shit-faced, of course, at uh, the police station. Always. And, you know, give him a little bit of lip, but she ends up giving him the sorority's phone number, which she says is... <laughs> Fellatio nine two or something like that what was the number? Fellatio two zero eight eight zero. And I don't it's get a new it. exchange. New exchange. Now that must is that like a Canadian thing for how they dial numbers? Uh, Cause I didn't know what they were talking about. New exchange. I don't know. Cause what did they? They always did like Klondike five was the phony baloney TV uh, phone number. It was like five five five. Mm-hmm. So they would do like the first two letters and then whatever. So I don't know if it was like F E zero two eight eight zero. Yeah, because that's what she tells him. It's a new exchange, F E. Yeah. So instead of like Klondike five, it was Flacio zero. Okay. I don't know. I assume something way dated technology wise. Mm-hmm. And it goes right over Nash's head and doesn't <laughs> Felatio doesn't well, register. He doesn't know what Felatio is. Yeah, international listeners, Felatio's a blowjob. So And then uh, yeah. And then so after uh Jess calls about the the you know, obscene phone calls, uh but uh Barb was it Barb and uh Claire's mom Claire's mom, Claire's dad mm-hmm. and Claire's boyfriend were there and they're like, What the fuck are you doing? And they go talk to the lieutenant, and the lieutenant's about to call up the sorority to see what's up, to follow up on the report, Mm -hmm. and he sees what the phone number is written down as. (laughs) Play that clip? Yeah, play that clip. Okay. 
there's another officer in the background that knows the situation he's yeah. just laughing his ass off Sergeant Ash, could I speak to you for a minute? Yeah, sure, huh? <laughs> What's this? Well, that's the number at the sorority house. Palatia? <laughs> yeah, it's a new exchange. F.E. One of the girls that was in this afternoon gave it to me. She gave it to you? Yeah. Nash, I don't think you could pick your nose without written instructions. Something dirty, ain't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that guy's pretty great. I love that line, though. Nash, you couldn't pick your nose without written ex- instructions. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Something dirty, ain't it? Marvin <laughs> <laughs> Nash. If we get to hear him on the phone again in oh, our next God. clip. Oh. Uh, when we get there, let's uh, let's get to the third murder here. So, say after a false start, Kidder finally eats it. So yeah, Barb she heads upstairs because she. This is when she's just falling over shit face drunk, right? Yeah, and before that, she uh, she tells a story about how she went to the zoo and she watched some turtles fuck for three straight days. <laughs> yeah. and how it was so slow and boring. And yeah, it didn't make much sense, but she was blasted out of her mind. Mm-hmm. She was tired of Claire's dad. Yep. That's for sure. Yeah. The reason I had to say false start is the killer was in her room while she's sleeping about to kill her, and she wakes up because she has an asthma attack. Yeah. And she goes, I, have a, I had a dream well, where somebody was in my night- room. Yeah, she said she had a nightmare of somebody in her room, but there was somebody in her room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like, she saw him, but she thought that it was a dream. Yeah, because Jess goes up there to help her with her inhaler, and yeah. she gets back to you know normal at least for a minute, and he's just... Like, behind the door the whole time, the yeah. killer. Then she leaves, and Barb goes back to sleep. Um, he takes, like, a it was like a glass unicorn figurine. Yeah. With and just stab the shit out of her. With an awfully long horn on it. Yeah. So he chops her up pretty good. And then Phyllis, or Phil, shows up and says, mm-hmm. what was all that screaming? Oh, she was having a bad dream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Phil eats it shortly after. In the same room. Yeah, because she goes to check on Barb a little bit later, and she never comes back. Yep. So that's uh, kill count is up to four. By this time, John Saxon, the lieutenant, is taking everything seriously. Because somebody t- has to. Nash, They've, uh, Nash some- sure as hell <laughs> yeah. isn't. So he's done two things. Uh, they're trying to work traces on the phone calls, Yeah. and then he also put an officer in a car outside the house to watch over things. Yep. That officer is the fifth to go. He goes right around the same time as Barb. Or, I mean, um, um, not Barb, but Phil. Um, he gets his throat slit. And they they don't the show car. that. He did, nope. They just, uh, the lieutenant tries to call the police officer outside, and he doesn't answer. Mm-hmm. And then when they show up later, they find out, oh, shit, he's uh, got the OJ treatment. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 
or um, whatever the OJ treatment was called in 1974. <laughs> Could have been a Colombian necktie. You know. <laughs> Pretty close. If he just would have pulled the tongue out. <laughs> but that's any time he slit somebody's throat, really. Yeah. It's like, well, he's trying to do a Colombian necktie. He's like, no, he just slit his fucking throat. That's all he did. <laughs> so they're trying to work the phones. They have to keep them online or on the line for extended period of time so they can tr- you know, track it, which is, I think they shot those scenes pretty cool. Yeah. They show some guy like the, um, what do you call it? The, he was a linesman. He was a linesman and he was at the, yeah, whatever the, like the circuit or the telephone wire exchange building is. Whatever it's called. There's just like walls and walls of connections. Yeah. And he's got to try to run down the rows to see where the phone call is coming from. Mm hmm. Takes them like three, four tries to get it because they just keep hanging up too quickly. Yeah. And in the meantime, the 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 uh, phone is connected to the police station, so the lieutenant can hear all the phone conversations going on at the sorority mm-hmm. house, and they don't give a shit about the house mother's phone because they're not getting any crank calls on that one. Yep. And we find out you know the, that the mom's phone is a different line. Yeah. So that's obviously the phone that the killer was using when we find out that the call is coming from inside the house. Yeah, and that uh, one of those calls ends up being Peter, mm-hmm. and the uh, lieutenant listens in there, and he's like, what does he mean by killing the baby? That's a weird thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> so. so, yeah, the lieutenant's really going after Peter Hart. He's like, I think it's yeah. this guy, you know, and Jess is... She has her own suspicions, but she doesn't. And they she isn't one hundred percent sure, so yeah. she doesn't want to say anything. And and he thinks it's Peter. So him, the no him and somebody else, one of the other police officers, go to check out the conservatory where Peter is, uh, you know, doing his piano shit. And they find a smashed up piano, and mm-hmm. so he's like, yeah, "It's got to be this guy." Yeah, and so they're out on that uh, lead when they get a call on the the uh, car radio that they finally got a location on where the calls are coming from. Mm-hmm. So when they find out it's coming from inside the house, that's when John Saxon tries to get a hold of Jennings was the name of the cop that was outside and he's, yeah. he doesn't answer. So then he calls up old Nash and uh, <laughs> I got some important thing for you to do. <laughs> Don't screw this up. Just tell her to get out of the house. Don't ask any questions, and whatever you do, don't tell her the calls are coming from inside the house. <laughs> that was the one important thing. Yeah. Don't tell her the calls are coming from inside the house. <laughs> Just get her out of the house. So let's uh, listen to the call Nash makes to Jess. Hello. Yes. Uh, Miss Bradford, uh, this is Sergeant Nash. Are you the only one in the house? No. Phil and Barbara upstairs asleep. Why? All right. Now I want you to do exactly what I tell you without asking any questions, okay? No questions. Please, Miss Bradford, please just do as I tell you. Okay. I'll get Phil and Bob. No, no, no! Don't do that, Jess! Jess! 
caller is in the house. The calls are coming from the house. Jess! Jess, get up! And don't go up there. Don't go upstairs, Jess. Miss Bradford! Miss Bradford! Miss Bradford? More evidence of the feminist nature of the film is she's uh, Jess is a pretty heroic character, especially yeah. for I mean she she thinks that Phil and Barb might still be alive upstairs, mm-hmm. so she heads upstairs looking for him, knowing yeah. that this killer's up there roaming around. That takes some balls. Like how Nash calls somebody and he says the first thing he says is who's this? It's like <laughs> you called me. <laughs> yeah, well it could be you know. A few different people in the house. Is it the killer? <laughs> Is it the killer? <laughs> <laughs> Although you'd think maybe Jess would go outside and get the cop that's supposed to be waiting out there. Because she doesn't yeah. know the cop's dead. She doesn't know that any of these people are dead in the house. Mm-hmm. She just knows that the killer is calling from in the house. Yep. But one thing we didn't mention earlier was... Uh, of course, maybe she thinks, you know, she was suspicious of Peter. Maybe she thinks it's him up right. there. And like, ah, he's not going to do anything to me. But but one thing we didn't mention earlier was they had ruled out Peter because she had received a obscene phone call while Peter was in the house. Yep. And so, you know, that happened. They're like, oh, it's not Peter. No, it's not Peter. And now Peter's prime suspect number one. Yep. Again. <laughs> and Peter is, at least we don't think he's not there right now. Or at that moment when she goes upstairs. Yeah, because he was sulked out of the house when they came to tap the phone. Mm-hmm. And then he was just standing across the street being creepy as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they throw a lot of evidence out there. Like, it's got to be. It's Peter. Come on, guys. It's Peter. <laughs> um, so then... Uh, I had seen this movie before, and then watching it a second time, I still thought it was Peter. <laughs> So, yeah, she uh, Barb's door is locked, and so Jess kind of breaks it in. I mean, she's being loud, too. She's yelling their names. Like, she's not trying to be secretive at all. She's loud through the whole movie. Every phone call she gets, she's, hello? <laughs> hello? <laughs> I can't hear you. It's like, why are you yelling? And then she's got this worried fa- look on her face all the time when she's on the phone. Like, mm-hmm. like uh, look of concern. Like, I get it. You're scared, but. She breaks open the door, sees the two of them on the bed dead. They're just like piled on top of mm. each other. She doesn't scream. She just kind of stand there for a minute, and then she hears, Agnes, it's me, Billy. <laughs> and uh, she shoves the door in his face. And I yeah. think what happened is like the coat hanger on the other side of the door. I don't know. Maybe there wasn't one, but I thought maybe there was, and that went into his face. I don't know. I think because uh, you could see his eye through the crack in the the door hinge mm-hmm. and then i think she just like smashed him between the door and the wall yeah i don't know if anything hit him and then she runs downstairs and then she realized they locked all the doors and windows because the search party said mm-hmm. you need to lock your doors and windows <laughs> yeah a couple of bumbling idiots from town walking around with shotguns in people's backyards right. looking for the killer <laughs> <laughs> i like when the, those guys showed up and then uh the, jess is like did you know this is the only door or window that we have locked in the whole house? <laughs> 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 like, like, it just occurred to her. Oh, maybe we should lock some shit. 
because throughout the whole movie they were talking about the front door is busted. Yeah, it like it isn't shutting properly. It, it kept jamming. Like Mrs. Mack tried to get through about five times with her arms full, and yeah, somebody had to come open it for her. And then once it's locked, it's like you can't get that shit open. Yeah. So Jess, when she runs downstairs, she tries that door for you know a few seconds, and yeah. then gives up, and immediately runs to the basement, and then just stays there. Yeah, she barely beats the killer down there. She goes to the door on him, yeah. locks it. So she's in the basement, lights are off. She's hiding out down there. And the killer pounds on the door for a little bit, and then you hear him, like, walk away. Mm-hmm. And uh, you hear the front door open and close. Yep. And then uh, somebody's sneaking around outside. Yeah, like 20 seconds later, all of a sudden there's some knocking at one of the windows of the basement. Yeah. You know, just like one of those, what, what do you call those windows? Like the egress windows. Yeah, egress windows or something like Because it doesn't even have, there's no hatch or, like, um, like a, there's not a window box yeah. for him. And uh, it's Peter yelling, Jess, you in there? <laughs> hey, Jess. And the timing is just good enough where if the killer walked away from the basement door and walked outside, it would be just enough time to get him to knock on that window at that very moment. Yep. So... Peter's got the worst fucking timing if he's not the killer. <laughs> yeah. And then I forget, he, uh, does he break the window in? He breaks the fucking, there's a door, like there's a, you can walk down to a door at the, you know, to the basement and he's like scraping the ice off it so he can look through it, through mm-hmm. the window. And then he just like breaks the window and opens the door. And yeah. then he, he looks or walks around a little bit. And uh, Jess is, like, hiding in the dark corner. Mm-hmm. Um, what did she have? Did she have, like, a crowbar? No, she had the uh, the fire poker from the fireplace. Oh, that's right. Yeah. They see each other. Not a whole lot is said. It was kind of like you can tell Jess is worried. And it's thinking, oh, it's got to be him now. Yeah. And then it kind of just cuts away from that as they start to, like, struggle. Yeah. And it cuts to the, the lieutenant and his other officer showing up. Finding the cop in his car dead, mm. and then breaking down the front door, and then breaking down the basement door. Because they hear a scream as well. Yeah. From the basement. So when they go down there, they're both Peter and Jess are laying there kind of bloodied, it looks like, and they think yeah. she's dead, but she's not. It was like Peter. Peter, Peter had fallen on top of her, mm-hmm. and I don't know if she hit her head or what, but they were both uh, looked dead. Mm-hmm. And she kind of snaps, too. She, she had yeah. killed him with the poker. So, yeah, she kills him. You know, even if he's not the killer, she still kind of had every right because he literally broke into their house and then assaulted her. <laughs> so <laughs> It's another stand-your-ground killing. <laughs> yeah. And so, hey, hey, case is, case is solved. Case go, closed. Let's go, go eat. <laughs> we go to the <laughs> hospital where... They're kind of checking Jess out, and then they release her. And they... I don't think they brought her. They didn't bring her to the hospital. They put her up in her bedroom. Oh, right away? I thought they checked her out somewhere. No, because they had to bring, because uh, they were up in the her bedroom, and then uh, Claire's dad was there, and then uh, Claire's boyfriend were there, and Claire's dad, like, collapses, and they're like, we got to get him to the hospital. Okay, that's so... what I'm thinking of. And everyone, and then they like drag him downstairs, and you hear somebody's, "What's wrong with that guy?" (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, people still haven't found Mrs. Mac or Claire's body in the attic yet. No No, one's looked. Nobody goes in the attic through the whole movie except for the killer and Mrs. Mac. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, Claire's dad is still thinking, well, his daughter could still be alive because they haven't found her. They just Ooh. know that Phil and Barb are dead and the cops dead outside. Yeah. And Peter's dead. But, uh, yeah, Jess is going to get They gave some. her a sedative so she can rest. Yeah. And uh, and then everybody just leaves the house. There's a, They place a, a officer at the front door to kind of watch over things. Yeah. But uh, they assume that Peter's the killer and he's dead. And then it cuts to... Uh, scene in the attic there's kind of some more pov shots and you can hear billy or the killer yeah do, doing the same kind of speech mm-hmm. and this is me billy blah 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 and it's so he's obviously still alive up there yeah. and then it starts you know pulling back the camera from you can see claire's head through the window still and the phone starts ringing and credits start rolling yeah so it's a pretty fucking sweet ending with because initially I'm like, that's pretty fucking sweet that she killed the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I I really do think that's what they're going for. But there is evidence to say that there were two killers and Peter was one of them. Yeah. Because like you talk about all the evidence that they try to show you as like a red herring type of thing that mm-hmm. and all the interference they're running or distraction stuff with Peter. But you got that first phone call that sounds kind of like multiple voices at one point right and then i think the biggest one for me is at the end when he breaks into the basement because it's like why the fuck is he looking in the basement windows right like why would he know that she's down there because the lights are off in the basement mm-hmm. he wasn't in the house at least 20 minutes prior and, and the so basement he... the basement looks like shit so obviously it's not a room a place in the house where people frequently go yeah, so even if he's just looking for Jess, like, let's say, okay, he banged on the door, it was locked, he couldn't get in, sure. Right. So he's just going to immediately going to go to the basement window and start yelling in? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Especially when she's hiding. Yeah. <laughs> she's trying to not be seen. Mm-hmm. From... So he obviously didn't see her, and then he just breaks into the house. <laughs> so it's kind of like, oh, well, that guy, I mean, if he's not the killer, he's just a psycho boyfriend. Yeah. But, and I do think that, I think he is a red herring. I think they're probably, their intention was only having one killer. But retroactively, you can kind of piece together evidence that would support a second killer theory. And then, like I mentioned, too, like, some of the phone calls were repeating stuff that only Peter and Jess would have heard Mm -hmm. uh, at that point in the movie. Because nobody else was around when they were saying it to each other. And they hadn't told anybody else. Unless it was, a, you know, one of Peter's friends that he told right away. But I don't think he had friends. Yeah. If I'm going to try and point to that first phone call at the end where he says, I'm going to kill you. Kind of like Peter's voice. Yeah. Well, we did look it up and Peter doesn't provide a voice for the call. It's that one guy and then Bob Clark. I did read, though, that uh, the guy that does the... The phone call voice did dub over a handful of Peter's lines to make it more okay, uh, you know, questionable of whether he was innocent or not. Ah, so they kind of went good. the other way mm-hmm. with it. Peter didn't do the any of the phone call voices, but the guy that did do the vo- phone call voices did a handful of Peter's lines. Mm-hmm. Okay, that would make more sense. Why I thought he sounded like Peter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they did that somewhat, they did that intentionally to try to, mm. you know, make you think, oh, it's got to be Peter. Mm. 
And I do prefer the the one killer ending because I think it's pretty sweet that she murdered her boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, murders it's it's by self defense. Right. I'm not saying she wasn't in the right. She you know she's not gonna be going to jail. It's self defense. But it's pretty sweet when you kill the wrong person, the killer's still up in the attic, just hanging yeah. out. Pretty he, fucking creepy. And he's still up there and he might be up there forever. Yeah, it's a great slasher movie. Um it gets a lot out of I guess the kills because there isn't a lot of gore and or blood right for most of this movie which is you know that I always give movies more credit when they're the more effective they are without or I guess movies that are effective without having a lot of blood and gore right a lot of the kills are mostly off screen too so Mm -hmm. like I like blood and gore in certain movies but sometimes you know especially with the older ones if they can get by with not doing that I think it's even better yeah I mean, Texas Chainsaw original, there really isn't much blood. Only one person gets killed with a chainsaw, and that's it's on screen, but it's off screen. You can't see it. Yeah. Yeah, some of those kills actually even happen off screen. Even when he puts her on the hook, it doesn't show mm-hmm. it. It doesn't go through her. It goes into her from the back, but you don't even yeah. see that. And that's just normal TV right now Yeah. in 2017. Like, pretty much the most blood you see from, like, actual cutting in Texas Chainsaws in the beginning when the hitchhiker cuts his hand or cuts, like, the uh, Franklin's arm. Yeah. It's like, you don't really see much actual, like, on-screen blood and gore. It's all, like, stuff after the fact. Mm-hmm. Like, body parts or things like that, but... It doesn't... Yeah, yeah it doesn't take away from, you know, the shock or the suspense or anything like that mm-hmm. um and in some cases like you said it, it might even make it might even make it better because you know if they did go for that you know blood and guts who knows how good the special effects would be it might take you out of it even more mm-hmm. yeah and the uh what was i gonna say oh well it was just something the same thing I just think the suspense works so well with the premise, especially it being one of like the original calls coming from inside the house. Right. It's talking the babysitters. I also thought it was interesting that, um, you know, you talked about urban legend, the babysitter. I also read that this was slightly based off of some murders in the Westmount section of Montreal, Quebec in the Canada. Yeah. And, uh, like some of the things I read about this, there was sequel talk. There was, you know, kind of off and on. And they talked about he thought it should be another holiday movie. So when Halloween came out, like Halloween is thought to have been like the spiritual sequel or almost sequel to Black Christmas. Because I think Bob Clark said that's how it should go. If there if there was a sequel to Black Christmas, it should have been Halloween. It should have been another holiday. And I, they I wanted did, to frame yeah. it around. I did read that John Carpenter originally planned it to be a sequel of Black Christmas, and mm-hmm. then it kind of evolved into its own thing. Yep. Um, and he also was going to call it The Babysitter <laughs> originally before Halloween. Right. And then uh, they, uh, they said in 2007 they were going to do a sequel with uh, Olivia Hussey and John Saxon reprising their roles. Hmm. But after the remake failed so poorly, they... Uh, they uh, didn't do it, and then uh, Bob Clark actually died before they could uh, finish okay. it. Yeah, I haven't seen the remake, but yeah, I've heard it's a pile of shit. But it might still be worth going through. I mean, you're like, oh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is in here. Oh. Yeah. You know, this is before she kind of broke out. So I don't know. I'll probably maybe watch it sometime, but 
not eager to watch the remake. I heard they yeah. go into like the killer's storyline, like his history. Oh, which kind of defeats the purpose of yeah. <laughs> you know, like the the original, they went so far out of the way to uh, make it ambiguous as to who the killer is and why he's doing it every everything and if they're going the opposite way in the remake i can see why people would not be happy with that mm. it seems like that's what they were doing with a lot of remakes at the time because that nightmare on elm street remake came out a few years after that with jackie earl haley they went into freddy's background yeah i never like saw that, that one, one but i i heard that people hated it yeah they didn't like going into his background dealing with like pedophilia and kids and stuff like right that. like it's bad enough just hearing about it you don't need to yeah well they didn't <laughs> like, like dig deep into it yeah they didn't like show graphic stuff like that but yeah they're they're talking about it they're digging into it yeah so it's like eh, it wasn't needed and then like the new friday the 13th like reboot it was a couple yeah. years after that they kind of go into jason's background a little more too in that one another reason like people yeah. didn't like that they're like we don't like knowing more like Jason's history. Well, and that one was a little more serious than all the other like mm-hmm. movies where Jason is the featured, you know, antagonist. Uh and then they he was doing stuff that seemed really out of character too, I yeah. felt. So and then even in the the Rob Zombies Halloween, like the whole first half is Michael Myers uh, as a kid in the uh, mental institute. Isn't that two? I've only seen the first one, and I feel like the first one okay. was. Yeah, I, I've seen them both once, but yeah, because then when the second they spend one, spent a lot a... of time developing him as a child, uh, and revealing, you know, like the 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 warning signs of mm-hmm. the psychopath. Oh yeah, that's right. Because in the second one, he's in a mental institution as an adult after he gets caught, like after the first movie. Okay. Because, like, yeah. the first one, or, you know, the first remake is him doing making all the masks and, you know, killing animals and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So they really dig deep into his backstory, whereas the yep. original, it's like, the remake. okay, he killed his, uh, his sister, and now he's coming back to kill more people. They also did, uh, remember they did Texas Chainsaw the Beginning, which wasn't a remake, it was a prequel. Yeah, it I seemed never like, saw that. Yeah, mid aughts to early they made 2010s. A bunch of, it was just like, let's go into all the killers' like backgrounds. Yeah, they made a bunch of uh, Texas Chainsaw movies in the 2000s, and it always seemed like they were just restarting. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't see any of them, but like every single one is like, oh, we're gonna start over because they did the reboot or the remake, you know, and then they yeah. did the beginning, which I think was just a prequel. And then they did an origin story for Leatherface. Yeah. And then they did... Didn't they do one about Texas the family? Chains- well, there was Texas Chainsaw 3D, Oh. which I never saw. That was like the newer one. That was only a few years ago that came out. Yeah. Was there's a... Because there's Texas Chainsaw 1 and 2, both Toby Hooper. And then there's a third one called Leatherface Texas Chainsaw 3. Yeah. And that's... Dells in the family a lot. Vigo Mortensen's in that one. Yeah, I think I get that on my favorites just in case it pops up for free somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, back to Black Christmas. Um, some more fun facts you found? Fun facts. I do. It was uh, Elvis Presley's favorite horror movie. 
Did you know that? And he watched it every Christmas. <laughs> I saw that it was Steve Martin's favorite like movie. Did you read that, Steve Martin? Yeah, I saw. Well, I don't know if it was his favorite movie of. Was ever, one of his like his, five favorites. But or it was his favorite movie that uh, Olivia Hussey did. Because <laughs> she's like, I thought he was talking about Ju- uh, Romeo and Juliet. Because mm-hmm. they did a movie in the eighties together, and he's like, Oh my god, you're one of my favorite movies. And he's like, Oh. What you is liked, it? You liked Romeo and Juliet. Like, no, Black Christmas. I've seen it over and over again. Mm-hmm. So uh, apparently Elvis' family uh, continued the tradition and keeps watching it every Christmas out of huh. uh, memory of him. That's cool. So it is family. So what, Lisa Marie gets together with uh, Priscilla. <laughs> they just watch it together. I'm sure. I'm sure. Did he have any, how many kids do they have? Just Lisa Marie Presley? There's got to be more, right? No, I well, I thought he had more. I think he you'd think more. he'd spread that seed around. Uh, let's see. Uh, according to director Bob Clark, Olivia Hussey decided to take the role of Jess based on advice given to her by a psychic, who <laughs> said that uh, it would be successful and a good career choice. So she took it. Kerr Delia. Uh, the guy that played Peter, he only worked on the movie for a week, and he never met Margot Kidder, and he barely met John Saxon. John Saxon, uh, but they edited it in a way that made it look like he was there throughout the whole mm-hmm. film. Almost like he was supposed to be the killer or something, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, cinematographer Albert J. Dunk created Billy's POV shots. By rigging up a camera harness that would mount the camera on his shoulders as he walked about the house and climbed the trellis and attic ladder himself. That's a pretty good idea because this is still before Steadicam. Yeah. The Shining was like the first big movie of Steadicam. It was only used in like one or two movies prior, and that was only a year or two before The Shining in 1980. So, yeah. Yeah, nobody had a Steadicam to work with in 74. No GoPros in 74. Uh, the role of Peter was originally offered to Malcolm McDowell, but he turned it down. Would only have been three years after Clockwork, so. He would have been uh, probably more age-appropriate than the guy that picked. Because <laughs> yeah, well, how old is he? 37? Uh, played Peter? He was 38 at the time. <laughs> 38. <laughs> Playing like a 21-year-old college student. The youngest ones were uh, Lynn Griffin, I'm not sure who she played, and Olivia Hussey, who were 22 and 23. So, and mm-hmm. they're all playing teenagers. Yeah. Well, I mean, sorority girls, you're thinking sure. at the, they have to at least be 19 pretty much. Yeah. But they're probably more like 20 or 21. I mean. Still. Apparently they were uh, a little bit older. Yeah. Uh, in order to get the proper creepy and raspy voice for Billy, uh, actor Nick Mancuso had to stand on his head to compress the thorax in his neck. Yeah, it's a pretty good idea. So he had to, he had to do him upside down, do the lines upside down. Agnes, it's me, Billy. <laughs> the role of Mrs. Mack was offered to Betty Davis, but she turned it down. Uh, she would later work with Olivia Hussey on Death on the Nile, uh, but apparently they did not get along very well. Ooh, Betty she, White, come on, she gets along with everyone. Betty Davis. Oh, Betty Davis. I think he said Betty White. If I did, I, I apologize. I was Betty probably Davis. just thinking Betty White. You're probably thinking Betty White. Did Betty White pass? No. 
Okay, I didn't think so. But somebody referenced her. I think I heard on the radio somebody referenced her like in the past tense, like a was or she was oh. this or did she used to be this. I'm like, she didn't die, <laughs> did she? She's one of those that keeps on, you know. Is that like she's when a fucking Mark, Energizer Bunny? Is that like when Mark Zuckerberg referred himself as uh, I was a human? <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen those pictures of him that like walking around because it looks like his leg bends um, backwards at the knee? Oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, they're like he's a he's like a lizard, you know, or <laughs> like that's more of the joke, like conspiracy theory type of thing. But it's more just like he's not human. Look the way right. he walks because his he, there's a couple of pictures. His knee goes like in a that's little weird. bit. It's kind of it's kind of weird. Maybe that's his stroyal. Looks like yeah, it looks like he has like a hyperextended knee. Oh, that's weird. Uh, Gilda Radner was offered a role of Phyllis Carlson. Uh, she was attached but dropped out one month before filming uh, began owing to Saturday Night Live commitments. Hmm. Makes sense. So, well, that's weird because it says Saturday Night Live started in 75 and this movie came out in 74. So, I don't know. Take that how you will. Yeah. I thought this was pretty interesting. Uh, an early example of a largely mainstream film containing the word cunt. Uh, this was cut out for the UK release, which seems totally backwards. Yeah, you'd think that would be the one place you would show it. <laughs> Since they just rattle it off like it's, you know, nothing. Uh, let's see. I think we touched on just about everything else. Do you have anything else? No, I don't think so. This movie, when I first saw it, it was a nice, pleasant surprise. I'd heard it was kind of a cult movie, you know, like the first slasher type of thing, and it did not disappoint. Yeah, I was very happy with it. It wouldn't change much, you know. There's a few things that'll hold up, you know, but I think it holds up overall pretty well. I, I think very effective. Maybe the only thing that uh, might hurt it for first-time watchers is that it's been ripped off by so many other movies yeah you know, a lot of the great stuff that they did in this one has been kind of done to death by the at this point 40 plus years later so going back and seeing it you might say well i've seen all this stuff before uh but if you kind of look think of it in context as this is the first time this stuff's been done like it's pretty fucking good mm-hmm Kind of like Citizen Kane. Like, I saw Citizen Kane for the first time, like, probably last year. And, like, I heard how great it was. It's the greatest movie of all time. But, like, it seems so dated now because all the stuff they innovated has just been, you know, done in every other movie since then. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you got to appreciate it for being the first to do all those innovative things. Not to compare Black Christmas to Citizen Kane, <laughs> yeah, but, but but it's you know kind of the same idea. If mm -hmm. you're the first to do it, and everybody copies you, uh, you gotta still appreciate the first. Yep. Yeah, I would definitely give this a WTM eventually. I agree. Stamp sealed. I agree with that. Seal of approval. Now right. would be a good time to watch it too, because it's almost Christmas. Yeah, you gotta get in that spirit, give me mood like that fucking Santa in there. <laughs> Ho, ho, fuck. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that'll about do it. Please reach out to us. 
send us an email to watch this movie at yahoo.com. Check out our website at wtmwatchthismovie.com. You can follow us on Twitter at watchthis_movie, And give us the old rate and review on iTunes and Stitcher. Help us out. Subscribe, download, listen, whatever. Helps out the show. And uh, other than that, we will check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right, check you later. Bye. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking about? Check you later. Check you later. (laughs) Hey, man, you're off my case.